Let me start by asking you a question this morning. So everybody pretty much drove here this morning, right? 90, 99% of us, we drove, got in our vehicles this morning, we started the engine, right? And we drove here this morning. How many of you questioned if you were gonna get here this morning when you started your car? Was everybody pretty confident that that car was gonna start you were gonna get here this morning, right? And as crazy as the weather was, and we came inside, and you sit down in these chairs. Was anybody questioning if that chair would hold you up when you sat down? No, no, it didn't, right? And, and that's exactly how a relationship with God and a faith in Jesus and having confidence in him works. There's a certain level of reason that we bring as we examine our faith, as we examine the gospel, as we examine uh, our own beliefs, and, and the claims of truth God's testimony right here in this book, in the Bible. And if you're a Christian this morning, you know what I'm talking about. Because once, once you have faith in Jesus, once you've given your life to Jesus, you, be, you believe that your relationship with him is real. You believe the testimony of God. Right? Now, if you're visiting with us this morning, uh, I, I just want to welcome you, right? You're, you're a visitor. We welcome you in this place, okay? And the section that we're going to be covering today as we continue uh, the letter of John, the first letter of John, uh, it's, it's going to be difficult, right? I'm going to do the best to try to explain what John is writing about and what that means for us today. Now, remember, as we're going through this letter, John was writing to a group of Christians, specifically Christians uh, from Ephesus who were watching some other church members some self-professing followers of Jesus abandon the faith and they were rejecting the historical teachings of Jesus the remaining believers they were shaken they were anxious they were unsettled they were tempted to doubt everything that they had learned or everything that they had known or experienced about Jesus. John's goal in writing this letter uh, that we're going to review here this morning and continue to review is not for condemnation for those that might have had doubt, but for uh, confidence. It's probably the best way for me to put it. It was for confidence for those that were shaken. Confidence in her faith in Jesus. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I encourage you to open them. We're going to be taking some notes. If you don't have a Bible this morning, please, there's some Bibles sitting on, on the table back there, off to my right in the back. Please grab a Bible for yourself. Please, I encourage you to take notes. And if you grab a Bible there, that's our gift to you. Okay, so please, everyone, uh, please open to 1 John chapter 5, and we'll read verses 6 through 12. And please bear with me. I've got a microphone in one hand and a Bible in the other, so we're going to try to get through this together. First John chapter 5, verse 6. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God. 
which he has given about his son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts his testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar, because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has a Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. As we've been reading and studying 1 John, John has been telling his readers to continue to believe in Jesus. But what exactly are we supposed to believe about Jesus? You see, John outlines in, in verses 6 through 12, and, and he instructs us to put our focus on the testimony about Jesus. And then two decisions are supposed to be made. Now, since the word testify or testimony is so prominent in this passage here. In fact, in, in reading this, I think I counted it almost eight times, right? So the fact that John is talking about testimony, in my mind, it sort of puts me in a theme of a trial, right? So, so in a trial, if you're in court, you have to convince a jury of the truth and, and what you have witnessed through, through the testimony of those witnesses. So let me ask you this morning, what is the truth that must be believed about Jesus? What is the truth that must be believed about Jesus? And what is the outcome or the verdict of that truth? Let's start with the testimony. Let's go back to verse 6. If I start verse 6 here again, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. You see, this is just a basic element of a court case. Evidence was brought forth, right? John is bringing this evidence and this testimony forth. And he specifically talks about the testimony of three things, right? Water, blood, and Spirit. Now, what's the, what's the convenience or, or, or uh, the coincidence, I should say, of those three things, right? So, on those, if you look at the fact that he brought three testimonies together, okay, as one, that's the same as we were taught about in the Old Testament law, right? We were to bring two or three witnesses together, right, that were required by law for adequate testimony. And that's what John's doing here. It's water, blood, and spirit. So, in verse 6, I want you to underline water. It's in there three times. I want you to underline blood. It's in there twice. And circle the word testifies. And first we're going to talk about the uh, testimony of water. Okay, so back in, in beginning part of verse 6 here, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Jesus says came, right? Look at that who came by water and blood. That's an interesting word that John just said there. Jesus came. He wasn't born. He didn't say born, even though Jesus was born, but he said came. Why do you think that's important? You see, Jesus had a choice in coming, essentially, right? He chose to leave heaven and to come to earth to speak the truth, 
and to die for you and me. Now, look at water and blood. Okay, so water and blood, we underlined those in that verse. So water and blood, some believe that the water and blood here is referencing baptism and communion. Okay, some believe that the water and blood is, is when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he was pierced in the side and water and blood, water and blood came out. And, and some believe that it was his birth and death. But I like to believe, and, and I feel that it, uh, uh, this is the majority of the opinion, is that the water and blood was baptism and Jesus' death. It was baptism and Jesus' death. So water, uh, for baptism for Jesus, uh, Jesus, through that baptism, God authenticated who he was. He was the son of God. Open to uh, Mark chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 10 and 11. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and a spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. You see, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was preaching baptism of repentance. That's what he was teaching, which meant turning away from your sin and asking for God's cleansing, for his forgiveness. Baptism became an external sign of an inward reality of a changed life. Jesus was identified with that repentance. You see, Jesus didn't need repentance. He was the only perfect person to ever walk the face of this earth. The only perfect person. But he was identified in this message with John as sinners who needed salvation, and he was the way of salvation. You see, this authenticates that he's the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. Now back to uh, John uh, chapter 5, verse 6. He did not come only by water, but by water and blood. You see, this is the dividing line. Many love that Jesus is a teacher, that Jesus is a miracle worker, that they love Jesus as he's an example, right? He's a good moral example. But Jesus the crucified, you see, it means something about our sin. And people don't want to hear that they're sinners. They don't want to hear that they need a savior. And I know for myself, uh, living through my 20s, that's probably how I felt too, looking back on it, before I had a relationship with Jesus. I, I had accepted Jesus uh, to have a relationship with him now, but before then, that was a struggle for me. Even though I grew up in the church, that was a struggle for me. I didn't have a relationship with him. And I didn't want to be told that I had to deal with my sin. I didn't want to deal with that conviction of why I needed a Savior. But you see, the blood testifies to the person and the work of Jesus. When Jesus died, there was a series of events that I'm going to review here in Matthew chapter 27. Miraculous events that testify to the work of Jesus.
If I go to Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came all over the land. This was as, this was as Jesus was hanging on the cross. The sun was hidden. Think about that, 12 to three, that's usually when, that's the hottest part of the day, right? The sun is the most prominent, but it was hidden. Then in verse 51, as Jesus gave up his spirit, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That was separating the Holy of Holies in the temple. It was just torn in two. Then the earth shook and the rocks split. There was an earthquake. And then in verse 52, the tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. Imagine if you witnessed that. That is a testimony to who Jesus was. These miracles testify that in the death of Jesus, he was really the son of God. It was necessary for Jesus to die to pay for our sins. Let's go back to verse 6 in 1 John 5. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. So we just talked about two testimonies, the blood and the water, that John wrote about. Now we'll talk about the Spirit. So think about all the places and the times in the Bible where the Spirit testified to Jesus. So we'll start at the beginning. You have the virgin birth, right? You have the virgin uh, conception. Then you have Jesus' baptism. We just read about that, right? Then you have where the, the Holy Spirit ministered to Jesus. The Spirit ministered to him after his 40 days of temptation in the desert. Then you have the, the Spirit encouraging Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane just hours before he was going to be arrested the night before he was convicted or uh, crucified. Everything the Spirit speaks is reliable. Just as John says, because he is the truth. Why is this significant, you ask? Let's go back to verses 7 and 8. For there are three that testify. The Spirit, the water, and the blood and the three are in agreement. I want you to circle testify, and I want you to underline agreement. You see, the word testify, that, that is present, right? That's not past tense. That's, a, that's the present test, uh, the, uh, present uh, form of the verb. So all three are in agreement, and they're continually in agreement, right? They are unified. They all speak to the same truth that Jesus is the son of God so let, let's continue on let's look at verse 9 so in verse 9 we accept human testimony but God's testimony is greater because it is a testimony of God for which he has given about his son now I want you to circle testimony it's in that verse three times and then I want you to underline greater 
Greater means that God's authority or God's testimony has more authority over human testimony, right? Now, the irony is that a lot of times we accept human testimony above God's testimony. We, we accept uh, human testimony in court, right? We accept human testimony in history books, but yet we reject God's testimony, which is written right here in the Bible. We, we reject the fact that, that you know, Jesus, we reject, his, we reject his baptism, his death, right? We reject the work of the Holy Spirit. That, that's what the world does today. And whose testimony has greater influence in your life? I ask you that this morning. Is it the testimony of others? Or is it the testimony of God? Now we'll continue on in verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. And whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. I want you to underline believes. I want you to underline accepts. Circle testimony and underline liar. So you see, the world likes to think that there's many acceptable opinions about Jesus. That's what the world likes to think. But John says there's only two. This is the verdict portion, right? We talked about the three testimonies. This is the verdict that John's going to talk about. There's only two, and there are unalterable consequences for both. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus says this, Whoever is not with me, is against me, and whoever does not gather with me, or whoever does not uh, gather with me, scatters. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Those are the words of Jesus. So this is opinion number one. These are the two that, that John's going to talk about here. We can opinion number one: we can believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That's what we can believe. And you see, belief is continual. Okay? Belief, it isn't in the past tense. It is continual. It, 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 the person that believes in Jesus is, is active in their personal faith in Jesus. And they believe what God has testified is true. And what Jesus has told us is true. In, in verse 11 here, back to 1 John chapter 5. In verse 11, and this is a testimony God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. I want you to circle testimony, and I want you to underline as given. And you see, I love the, the, the words there, has given. It's a gift from God. It's nothing we can earn. It's nothing we can earn. It's given by grace and not merited by works. Jesus has given us eternal life and life in him. 
And it's happening right now. We are living out. If you've accepted Jesus, we are living out salvation right now and all the promises that will continue into eternity. John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Please take that as assurance this morning. Then we have opinion number two that John speaks here in, in his first letter. Uh, verse 10. John, uh, First uh, John chapter 5, verse 10. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. I want you to underline believe. I want you to circle testimony and underline liar. You see, John is black and white here. There's no gray area for what he's telling us. If you don't believe that Jesus is the son of God, who came to take away the sins of this world, and you are declaring that God is a liar. Not simply that God lied to you, but God is actively lying to you. That's what you're declaring. Someone might say, well, I don't hate Jesus. I'm okay with Jesus. Jesus was a great teacher. But John is saying, if you don't believe and proclaim that I love Jesus and I belong to him through his sacrifice on the cross, then you are rejecting Jesus and you're making God out to be a liar. That's what John is saying is on the line. And there is only one outcome for that person. In verse 12, whoever has a son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. That person doesn't have life now or for eternity. You see, I have a faith in Jesus. I believe that these words are real. I've seen prayers answered. I've seen the dead come back to life. I've seen what God's done in my life. And I've seen what he's done in our family's life. And for that, I'm grateful. But that just begs a question. How much do we love our neighbors who are not in Jesus? Do we love them sacrificially? Do we love them without agape love? And what's our urgency? Tomorrow is not granted for anybody. Only God knows how long we're here. Our next breath is never guaranteed. So what is your urgency? You see, we want to be disciple makers. Who's your one? Who are you pouring into? You've been given this incredible gift from God. This incredible gift. Why would you want to hoard it for yourselves? Please go out and share that with the people of your, of your circle of influence, the clo those closest to you. We want to be disciple makers. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this roof that we have over our heads this morning. Uh, as the rain came down, 
you've provided shelter for us, Lord. We thank you for that. We thank you for our, your presence here this morning. We thank you for the freedom that we have in this country, that we can worship you openly and not behind closed doors. Lord, we thank you for this letter written by John. Even though it was written for the church of Ephesus, Lord, it, it, it's so prominent today, too. God, we love you. We ask for open hearts. We ask for your truth to be told. And we ask for those people in the Greensburg community that do not yet know you. To know your love through us. Lord, I thank you for this church family. And most of all, Lord, I thank you for what you did on that cross for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.